Well, this morning's message is entitled, Pay Attention. Pay Attention. And it comes from Acts chapter 20, verse 13. So please, if you would pull out your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 20. As we dive into God's Word this morning, Acts chapter 20, verses 13 to 38. The message today is about caring for one another. God's burden for us from this text of Scripture is that we would get a vision and a passion to care for one another. So let's read the text, shall we? Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 13. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when we met, when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos. And the next after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that we might not have to spend time in Asia For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, And friends, this is the only recorded speech of Paul's in the book of Acts to Christians. So pay attention. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all, 
because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd help us pay attention and that you'd help me preach your word with the grace of your powerful Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So, what is it that occupies our attention, our thoughts, our time, our treasure, and our talent? Is it relationships or maybe a particular relationship? How about career, financial stability, investments, possessions, hobbies, a sports team, a TV series, entertainment? The the answer to that question oftentimes reveals what we truly care about, what we value. See, what we think about, what we devote our time to, our money to, what we spend emotional capital on often reveals what we value. So what do you value? Do you value the church? Do you value the lives of those seated around you? See, God's burden for us this morning is that we would value the church. Look at verse 28. It contains, I believe, the core of this narrative. When Paul says to the Ephesian elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. So God, through Luke, reveals to us the value that God places on the church and reveals to us the burden that God has for us to care for the church like he cares for her. What is the value that God placed on the church? His own blood. That's the blood of Jesus. God values the church so much because he gave his blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. What a value on each person that has repented of their sins and confessed Jesus is Lord and Savior of their lives. That value is the very blood of Jesus. Jesus gave his life to obtain us for God and to make us God's people, to build the church. How valuable is the life of Jesus Christ? How valuable then are we, his people, the church? Do you see how valuable the church is to God? And is it valuable to you? Do you care about the church? Look around you right now. Just take a moment. Just look around you. Do you care about those in whose eyes you are staring right now? When I was preparing this message, I pulled out the Palm Vista directory. And I began to just pray over each one of you, each name in the directory. Thanking God for each one of those whom he has obtained by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's my privilege. It's my privilege to care for you this morning as I preach. And there's no doubt from this text, I have a call to care for you as your pastor. But I also share that call with you from this text to care for one another as members of Palm Vista. What do I mean by that? Well, in the context here, God's command in verse 28 to care for the church of God is given to the elders of the church in Ephesus. That is clear. As we see from verses 13 to 16, if you can show the map, Paul is traveling from Troas, traveling down to Assos, which you see there where it says Asia, just up to the left. He's traveling down from Troas, Assos, and he comes all the way down past Midland, all the way down to Miletus. And as he's traveling down to this area, he wants to go to Jerusalem. He wants to get all the way over here to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. We know from previous texts that he had to spend the day of Passover in Philippi, in the upper left-hand corner in Macedonia. 
He wanted to be in Jerusalem for Passover, but he wasn't able to. And there's 50 days between Passover and Pentecost. So he's in those 50 days, and he wants to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost. So he decides to sail past Ephesus and call for the elders of Ephesus in Miletus. Why did he sail past Ephesus? Because Ephesus is a very busy port. As you can see here, he would have to sail inland to that deep water port in Ephesus. There's a lot of traffic. It's kind of like the port of Miami. A lot of ships coming in and out. He'd have to wait to get in there. Also, there's a huge church in Ephesus, the church where he administered for three years. And he knew that if he, if he went to Ephesus, he'd have to go and have Cuban coffee with all the families in their homes every afternoon to say hi. And he would probably be there for a couple of weeks. And so God has him on a mission to go to Jerusalem for Pentecost. So what does he do? He sails to Miletus, which you can see here is much easier to get into and out of. And he calls for the elders to join him there. The elders walk the 30 miles south, approximately from Ephesus to Miletus. And it's clear from the text that Paul is commanding the elders to care for the church. He calls them overseers in verse 28. The leaders of the church. He reminds them in verse 28 that it's the Holy Spirit that's made them overseers of the flock. And then he reminds them how precious the church is, how we began this sermon. This is the church, the people that God obtained by the blood of Jesus. What is more valuable than that? But... God put this text in here for the whole church to read. This text was written to the New Testament church in the first century, and it's written to us in the 21st century. And this text isn't just something that is to be preached at pastor's conferences to pastors. This text is to be preached to the church because I believe that this text calls us all to care for the church. We may not all be leaders of the church, but we are all called to care for the church. We are all called to care for the church. It is true that leaders have a unique responsibility to care for the church. But remember, when Paul was calling these elders, he knew very well, I want to speak to the church. I don't have time and I can't, by by the will of God, to go to Ephesus and speak to maybe several thousand people and go visit with them every day. But I will speak to their representatives the elders. So when Paul is speaking to the elders, he's speaking to the church as well. Well, you may be arguing with me, well, Al, how can you you logically make this connection? Show me the biblical data that this text is telling me to care for the church. It looks like it's telling you to care for the church. It looks like it's telling you to care for me. But, But show me, prove to me that it's telling me as a as a member to care for the church. Now, I'm going to be happy to do that, but before I do that, I want to strike at the face of, I think, the misinterpretation of this text that people do with that logic I just gave you. I believe that if you misinterpret this text, you have what has plagued the church for centuries, and that is the very wrong clergy-laity distinction. And what that distinction says is this. Al, you're the clergy. You and Corey are the clergy. You're the two uh, elders. Therefore, we pay you to care for us, and we're the laity, and we just sit back and are cared for. You do all the ministry. We'll make sure that you can do it. We're happy for you to do it. You're doing it right now. It's great, Al, but don't call me to care for anybody. I'll show up. I'll listen, but gospel ministry, you know, that's what you do. That's wrong. Now, let me tell you why that's wrong. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Ephesians was written by Paul to the church in? Excellent, excellent. This is good. Hence, Ephesians. So, several years later, the Apostle Paul is going to write back to the very church whose elders he's giving instructions to at Miletus, and it's going to help us interpret these instructions, and I, I believe interpret them correctly. And it's going to crush, smash, obliterate, destroy, blow up 
I'm a violent kind of guy, aren't I? This lie of clergy laity. Pino, you do all the ministry. Make sure you do it really well. Give me a great children's ministry, a great youth ministry. Give me a great this. I want you to preach great messages. I'm going to critique you all the time on this, but I'm not going to really do anything. I'm just going to sit here and receive it like a consumer. Like, take that and just boot it out of here. Through this passage. Here we go. Ephesians 4.11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds. By the way, that word there is poimen, which is one of the words for leaders. Another word is episkopos, overseer, that we see in verse 28 of Acts 20. And teachers. Shepherd, teacher. Why has God given them to the church? For them to do all the ministry and people just sit back and do nothing, right? No. To equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Look at this glorious goal we have, church, to do. This is what we work together to do, that we might grow up to be Jesus, to to reflect Jesus to our culture. This is a life-consuming vision. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We're going to get back to this. When when Paul talks about wolves, we're going to get back to this doctrine issue. We're all to be caring for one another so we don't slip off into bad doctrine. Yes, there's a primary responsibility on the teacher, but there's a responsibility on you to study the word and make sure. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, this is to all the members now, not just to the leaders, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, look at this, the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is, with which it is equipped. So that's every member connected to the other member. So I may not know you on the back row over there. In fact, I don't know you. But you may know him over there, and I know him, and so I'm connected to you through him. So the hand is not connected to the foot. But it is connected to the foot because it's connected to the body. So when we're connected to one another, something happens according to this text. We grow up. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped. And now look at this. When each part is working properly. Now, if the pastor's not working properly, yeah, we're in big trouble. There are days we might be in a little trouble here because, you know. But... But if everybody's working properly, that means everybody's got a job. It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Friends, God gives us the joyful task of caring for the church by speaking the truth of the gospel to one another so that we all grow up in the Lord, so that the church is built up. This ministry cannot be done exclusively by one or two or three men. It doesn't make any logical sense. It's about 250 of us, give or take, including children. There is no way that two men can care for 250 people. That's not going to happen. This type of thinking, as I mentioned, is this old clergy laity distinction. It's not biblical. Acts 20, 28 calls us out. Acts, or excuse me, Ephesians 4, 11 and 16 calls us out. Listen, God calls us out, but he does it graciously because he's merciful. I mean, God speaks to Corey and me, and excuse me, I'm going to go in the first person here. If God were to be speaking, he would say, Al, Corey, you have a primary responsibility to care for this church. It is the church I purchased with my blood. And the way you're going to do it, Al and Corey, is that you're going to teach and train and mobilize each member for gospel ministry so that they can lay hands on the sick, so that they can preach the gospel, so they can believe in faith, so that they can counsel over the phone, so they can encourage one another, so that they can build each other up with truth. So mobilize them. Teach them. Have faith. And from this text, if you could hear God, dear church member, and again, excuse me, this is just sort of a hypothetical. If God were to be speaking to you right now, he would say to you, each of you, he'd say, I'm calling you to be fed by and taught and equipped the pastors. And then I'm calling you to take what you've been fed 
and give it to others and care for one another. I'm calling you to care for the church that I bought with my blood. And and dear guest, if you're here this morning, I think God would be speaking to you as well. Now, two categories of guests. The first category, dear guest, you are here. You know that you love God. You're in between churches. Maybe you've just moved into the city. Um, you, You have put your faith in Jesus Christ. He alone is Savior. You're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. But you're not a part of a church. You're observing. If God, hypothetically, were to be speaking to you from this text, I think he might say, continue observing. Continue proving the doctrine. But find a church where you can be cared for so that you can then meaningfully care for others in real, accountable relationships in Christ. And finally, if you're a guest And perhaps you're not sure about all of this. First of all, thank you for coming. Thank you. You're not sure about faith in Christ. You're not sure. Do I really believe? What does that mean? I thought I did. Maybe I don't. I've learned this. Maybe I grew up in a a different uh, religious kind of tradition. Down here, a lot of that would be Catholic. Most of us grew up Hispanic, Catholic. But it was nominal to me. So you're not sure. Thank you for being here. If God were to hypothetically actually speak to you right now, I think he would say this. Judging from what I've read in Scripture and what I understand of his will revealed here, he'd say, dear one, repent of your own way, your own righteousness, and bow your knee. Bow your knee to Jesus Christ. Bow your life, if God were speaking to you, to my Son." the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life for you and trust his righteousness. And I will care for you and and I will send you to a church where you will care for others. Dear friend, you will never experience care like the care of our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that you would know that today. See, friends, we will all grow as a body when we care for one another. And that care is motivated by the fact that God obtained us with the blood of Jesus. As God has cared for us, he then calls us to go and care for one another. Is that clear? (laughs) That's that's the point I want to make as we launch into this message. God is calling us to care for one another. So therefore, the driving question for this message is the following. How do we care for one another? How, how, what does that look like for me? What does that look like for me as a member? What does that look like for me as just visiting this church today and I'm a Christian but I'm not sure? What does that look like for me if I'm not sure about any of this? And this text, I believe, answers that question. It, this question drives us And and so the first answer is, how do we care for one another? Well, number one, we pay close or careful attention to one another. Point one, verse 28, clearly, clearly says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. That word pay close or careful attention is the Greek word proschete, which is not to be confused with the Italian ham. That's prosciutto. Proschete. It's one of those little tidbits you get when you come to church on Sunday. And that word could literally be translated a state of alertness in terms of the flock's needs. A state of alertness in terms of others' needs. Are you alert to others' needs? Well, the first point that Paul, excuse me, Luke makes as he quotes Paul in the speech to Christians, the only speech to Christians of Paul's in Acts, he says, first you have to pay careful attention to yourselves. Verse 28. Well, that sounds funny. Why? Doesn't that seem a little selfish? Well, yes and no. We recently had a tragedy with an aircraft crashing in San Francisco, which reminds me of all those um, 
briefings that you get on the airplane that no one pays attention to, which I'm sure everybody now is going to pay attention to on every flight about where are the exit rows and everything. What do they tell you to do if you're with a child? What do they tell you to do when the gas, when those masks drop down? Right. Well, the first thing is to begin to pray, right? Because no one, you know, ah! that's not good. That mask is here. But what's the first thing you're supposed to do? Put it on yourself. Because if you've stopped breathing, you're not going to be able to help your child. Same idea. It's not selfish. It's actually serving well. Because, listen, we first have to care for our own souls before we can care for other souls. It's clear. If you read this text, just skip through the text here with me. Paul is saying that. Paul is saying, I pay close attention to myself so that I then can care for you. Look at verses 18 and 19, please. When he starts the speech, verses 18 and 19. And when they came to him, he said, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So what is Paul saying? I lived my life before you Ephesians in a way that you could see it and see my example. Paul paid careful attention to how he lived his life. Do you? Verse 24, Paul goes on to say, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul paid close attention to his motives, living for Christ and not himself. Do you? Verses 33 to 35, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul worked hard with a heart to give and not receive. Paul paid attention to his heart that it would not grow greedy so that he begins to use people to get things rather than to use things to help people. Do you? See, in order to care for others, we must pay careful attention to our lives so that we are an open book amongst one another, brothers and sisters. We're open for others to observe our hard work and our pure motives. You often don't realize, friend, how not paying careful attention to your life has consequences for the church. It can often keep you from caring about and for those whom Christ has obtained with his blood. Listen, your practice may be private, but its effect is very public if you're in community with other people in the church. Your sin may not be public, but its effects most certainly are. If you're entangled in a besetting sin, though secret, it affects the church. A prime example would be pornography. If you're engaged in the sin of pornography... It either makes you so selfish that you fail to pay careful attention to your spouse, children, or friends, or coworkers, or neighbors, or whomever is in your world. You don't really care to serve anyone other, other than your own lusts. Or you are so consumed with guilt and shame that it takes you out of the game. You're paralyzed. You're on the sidelines. You're not able to care for others. Another example of a sin that would that would keep us from caring for others, if we don't care for our own souls, would be anger, unforgiveness, bitterness. These things, if we don't care for our own souls in these areas, if we don't apply the gospel to our own souls in these areas, oh, friends, they hinder us, they separate us from others, they make us bitter, judgmental people who instead of caring for others, we criticize others. And they sit in the caustic acid of our bitter unforgiveness. What's the remedy? The remedy is found in the very thing that obtained us and made us God's people and united us, the blood of Jesus. It sets the captives free. It sets you free. It sets me free so that we might care for others as God has cared for us. So, How do we care for one another? We pay careful attention to ourselves. And then secondly, we pay careful attention to one another. Sherlock Holmes once famously said, we often see, but we don't observe. 
When we were first married, I simply did not observe. I did not pay careful attention to color or decor in our home. Something that was so important for my wife. She loves color. She loves decor. Those are just really important things for her. Well, back in 1991, we were moving from Dallas, Texas to Orlando, Florida for me to attend Reformed Theological Seminary. And so in preparation for the move, my very organized wife, who could run a small country, um, (laughs) began packing weeks before we moved. We had two little girls at the time, five and three, and she was pregnant with our third daughter. So she's about to give birth. She's organizing the packing of our home, and she's doing it weeks ahead of time. So about two weeks before the move, Desi decided to pack up the bathroom decor. You know, men, how your wives spend hours thinking about the shower curtain, its color, its patterns, its schemes to match with the rug and to match with the dispensers for the soap, you know. Okay, so... She had done a beautiful one in emerald green. Everything was emerald green. So it's something you'd probably notice, right? Yeah. Uh, So two weeks before we move, she packs them up. She replaces the shower curtain with a very nondescript, inexpensive white curtain. So the day before the move, two weeks later, shaving, looking in the mirror, and all of a sudden I go, Hey, Des, did you change something here in the bathroom? (laughs) Now, mind you, I'd showered every day. I'd use the bathroom every day. Now, guys, I know that I'm not alone in this total lack of paying careful attention to details that are important to my wife. Some of you have had the sad experience of informing your wife that her new haircut is so nice only to be told that she got it cut a week ago. Well, over the years, I have learned to pay careful attention to color and decor because though they're not important to me, just sort of... Basically, you know, I just, that's not important to me. But they are important to the woman I love. I value her. So, last Friday night, I came home a little bit late. I was on the phone. I was having to move the garbage cans in. We were having guests over, so I was kind of flying in through the back area, put the garbage cans in, came in through our screened-in porch area. But I've learned, I'm on the alert to look if there's anything she's added in decor. Because my wife loves to beautify any room she's in. She's beautifying our offices right now. Uh, she and Vanessa are kind of repainting this one little conference room and it's making it beautiful, which I will probably not observe initially, but I'll make myself observe. So I came into that screened-in porch area and immediately I saw these two really nice chairs and they were new. They were beautiful. Outdoor chairs, they provide beauty and comfort. And then I commented on it quickly to her. Babe, thank you for that. That's valuable to me too. I've learned to observe and pay careful attention. What's the point? Here's the point. We express care to one another by paying careful attention to them and what's important to them. And see, the gospel turns us from being inward, selfish people into being outward people who love God, worship God, and then look out to others. And we stop being so consumed with me, and I start thinking about you. That's the point here. And we need to learn how to do that. And here are some suggestions. Number one. Work at knowing the needs of others and then being willing to provide, pray, or point them to provision. Facebook can help you in that. A telephone can help you in that. When you dial their number and ask them, hey, how you doing? A notepad. A reminder. You walk in a room instead of wondering, I wonder what everybody thinks of me today. You think, I wonder how they're doing today, right? Isn't that a temptation? You walk in, everybody, you know, ah, you know. I wonder if they're thinking of me. I wonder what they think of me. Why are they laughing and pointing at me? You know, instead of that, some of you get used to that. uh, But instead of that, you, you, you walk in the room and you say, hey, what are the needs in here? Hey, how's everybody doing? Hey, they look a little sad over there. Hey, I wonder why they're not talking. Hey, they're limping over there. Hey, they have a cast on their foot. You know, I wonder if, They had an accident, you know? So you walk over and you get in their lives and you ask them. You ask them. Now, the world keeps everything very tight-lipped. We don't often know the deep needs and problems people are experiencing. We don't share our insecurities with one another. We don't share about our finances. Here's the deal. Are you alert to any indicators that others might be struggling? 
Can I suggest something? That as you do this, practice this. Why don't you learn how to express where you're struggling up front and even let people help you, which would then release them to think, oh, I don't have to be perfect to be in this church. I can have some needs. And by example, as you're vulnerable and share your needs, they'll start sharing theirs. And we create this culture where we're not all a bunch of fringe people on the edge wondering how everybody's doing, wondering if someone's judging me, wondering, wondering, wondering. But we're now involved. We're core people where we're in each other's lives. It takes vulnerability. I I grant you that. It's going to take courage. When someone says, how are you doing today? Rather than say, oh, fine. And your life's just falling apart. Now, there's balance to this. I got it. There's an appropriate time to share things. I got that. But let's just take a risk, shall we? Listen, we don't often practice this perfectly at Palm Vista, but Christianity offers a compelling vision of loving, of a loving community to the world, a world in desperate need of it. And if you're here and you're not part of a church or perhaps you're not a believer, I just encourage you to hang around and observe. Hang around and observe. Two things come to mind. Recently, we had two needs in the church, and they were met. And they were met. And it was so exciting for me to see, and I'd love for you to hear more about that. You can talk to me privately. But we're a community that helps one another. We're a community that lifts up our head and looks at one another. By the way, if you were to come into our community, you would notice something, that we have a lot of young couples and we have a lot of pregnant women in the church. What a time of trial that must be. Listen carefully. For the pregnant woman and the family and for the woman that wants to be pregnant but can't. Now there's one that's obvious. Hey, she's pregnant. Hey, they've already got two kids. I wonder if they need some meals. Who's their community group leader? Let me call and find out. Hey, can I serve some meals? But what's not so obvious sometimes is the woman that wants to be pregnant and is silent. And is sad. And God gives her grace to rejoice with others. Maybe someone can just slide up next to her and just love on her appropriately, not barging into their lives. Just be aware of it. Do you see where I'm going with this? Not all the needs are on the surface. We can learn how to dig beneath the surface and encourage one another. How can you be part of a caring flock that will strengthen one another and strengthen the group and strengthen the leader? When you go to community group on those every other Wednesday nights or Tuesdays or Thursdays or Fridays or Sundays, I don't even know now when everybody meets, but I love everybody meeting all different nights. Total chaos. I like it because it meets people's needs because we realize that some people couldn't get there on Wednesday night. So I'm thinking how to care for the flock. Let me pay attention to the details of your life. Oh, you work every Wednesday. Duh. How about if we have a group on Sunday night? Or Saturday night. (laughs) But for you, when you go to group, what does it look like to pay attention? Maybe it's not about, well, the group is all about me. I don't really like the leader style. You know, there's some people here that just bore me. Some people here, all they do is talk. I already know all this. Plus, my opinions are superior to theirs. What if the community group meetings were more than that? What if the community group meetings were where God desires for you to participate, not just for your benefit, benefit, but for the sake of others, and you patiently endure the person that talks too much or the person that doesn't make any sense or, or, or the meeting that maybe isn't as dynamic as you want it to be. You patiently endure it because you want to go around that table at the snack table at the end, which are always wonderful, and you're talking, you're having that 20-minute conversation and learning the details of people's lives. And you're praying for them. And God builds the church. God builds the church. How do we care for the church? We pay attention to ourselves and others. Point two, we are alert for wolves. We are alert for wolves. When driving in my car, there are a couple of things that I'm alert to. I've learned this through painful history. The engine oil light and the temperature gauge. If 
you know, I'm not alert to those two bad boys. I'm probably going to blow my engine because if that engine oil light comes on and that temperature gauge starts rising and I continue to drive the car, I'm going to blow my engine. Here, what Paul is saying is be alert to the wolves, the danger signs, the people that come in to blow the engine, to destroy the church. Look at verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Verse 31, circle this. Therefore, be alert. We must be alert to the temperature gauges. In the Bible, in the first century culture of where the Bible was written, there were many shepherds. And they knew that their sheep were most vulnerable to wolves. And wolves represent any beast that feeds on sheep, okay? But wolves are a great poster child for evil beasts that feed on sheep. They deserve the reputation they get. So the shepherd knows, I've got to protect these sheep from the wolves. Well, God has chosen to use this metaphor to describe us in the church. Jesus himself said, I am the good shepherd. Here in this text, in verse 28, we're called the flock. The Greek word for flock there is poimnia. And the Greek word for shepherd that I read in Ephesians 4.11 is poimen. A poimen, a shepherd, takes care of the flock, poimnia. So one of the pictures of a leader is of a shepherd protecting his flock from ravenous wolves, and that's exactly what we have here. Friends, these wolves come from without, and they come from within. Paul himself said, and from among your own selves, verse 30, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples. We have enemies. We have enemies that are from without, the world and its system. Satan, evil, wrong doctrine, and we have enemies from within. Even in our own hearts at times, friends, we who are Christians have the flesh that can war against others. And so God says, guard the flock. Be alert to the wolves. How do we pay attention to the gauges? We keep alert through the ministry of the word of God. Primarily, we're keeping alert through the preaching of this word publicly, the preaching of this word privately, and everything in between. From Bible studies at the Beisner's house to women's studies to women's meetings, to, um, to the youth, and to the one-to-one reading of the word that the youth are doing. All of these things help guard us so that we can be alert. And it is our job as pastors to equip you and train you and mobilize you through Bible 45, our, our um, Bible study class and Sunday mornings in the fall and the spring, and through good preaching. We must be alert in two areas. In the area of understanding the gospel, right doctrine, and then the area of rightly applying the gospel, right practice. Both can introduce wolves into a church, so right doctrine. We equip you by keeping you alert, as I said, through public teaching of the word, Bible studies. Notice how Paul says this. Look at verse 20 and 21. Paul saying, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Here's the question, dear Christian friend. Do you have the discernment to spot a wolf? Do you have the discernment? Are your gauges functioning on the, on, the, on the dashboard of your car so that you can see that red engine oil light or that temperature gauge increasing when it comes to doctrine? Do you know theology well enough to spot a wolf? Oh, friend, listen to sermons. Read the Bible. Go to these studies. Get with one another. You don't have to wait for us. You can just start reading the Bible one-to-one. This book by David Helm is so helpful. Think about how you can learn to address the questions people have about Christianity, culture, faith, discernment. We all have the responsibility to grow doctrinally, that we might care for one another, to be able to discern the wolves theologically and culturally that come to ravish the church. And we've got to work together 
so that we might be able to discern the wolves practically. The wolves that come within our practice, our lives, how we think, how we speak, and what we do that come to destroy the church. Because wolves do come in doctrinally, but they come in through our practice. What we say and what we do can be used to ravish the flock or build the flock, to harm the church or to help her. Look at verse 32. Look at verse 32. Paul, having told them to be alert of the wolves, look what he says in verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. Remember that Paul said in Ephesians 4.11, I want all of you to speak the truth in love, which means the gospel, right doctrine, right practice, to one another so that all of you would not be like children bashed to and fro by the ways of doctrine. Yes, the pastor has a primary responsibility. We take it seriously. But you have the responsibility as well. In this area of practice, we must remain alert to the wolves that come in through our speech and actions, our practices, by measuring all we say and do by the word of God's grace, what we just read in verse 32, that comes to build us up, to give hope to our brothers and sisters of the inheritance God has prepared for us who are being sanctified. I love the fact that God, through Luke, writes this portion of Paul's speech to us Christians in detail, describing us as those who are being sanctified. We're not fully there. We're not fully sanctified. And sometimes things come out of our mouths, fueled by the things we think in our heads, that lead us to do things that are not filled with God's grace and don't build the church up. That's a wolf. Sometimes we release it through this thing, fueled by this thing, thinking really crazy things, or this thing, desiring things that become idols. We must be alert, friends, to those things in ourselves and others, and then call each other out in love. The risen Lord Jesus who obtained us by his blood connects us. He connects us by his grace. He connects us. We don't connect ourselves. He connects us. He brings the unity. But then we must maintain that unity. That unity is called community. It's called the church. And it's it's maintained and and, and connected and, and, and kept whole by being alert to wolves, by this word, so that we might grow in sanctification, so that we can care for one another and build up the church. Paul Tripp has some great wisdom for us with respect to being alert to wolves in our practice and in our lives as a community. This quote from Paul Tripp. For much of my Christian life and a portion of my ministry, that is not the right quote. I'm so sorry, buddy. Yeah, my bad. I gave you the wrong one. For much of my Christian life and a portion of my ministry, I had no idea that my walk with God was a community project. I had no idea that the Christianity of the New Testament is distinctly relational from beginning to end. I understood none of the dangers inherent in attempting to live the Christian life on my own. I had no awareness of the blinding power of remaining sin. I had no idea that I was living outside the of God's normal means of sightedness, encouragement, conviction, strength, and growth. Now listen to the second half of this quote. This is the key one. I have now come to understand that I need others in my life. Beautiful. You're amazing. I have now come to understand that I need others in my life. I now know that I need to commit myself to living intentionally, intrusive, Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive community. I, you, we need to live in that kind of community. That's what Paul says, because you can't pay careful attention unless you're intrusive. Sorry. Uncommitted 21st century American Christianity is not biblical. It's messy. This other biblical one is very messy. And we will go over the line on either side of it. But if we lose the fact that we are in each other's life in a God-centered, Christ-centered, grace-filled community that is intrusive, rightly intrusive, (laughs) I now know that it's my job to seek this community out and to invite people to interrupt my private conversation and to say things to me that I couldn't or wouldn't say to myself. Now, I saw a video recently. (laughs) 
that just captures this. I can't show it this morning, but just Google this. It's not about the nail. It's not about the nail. Just write that down. It's not about the nail. You will laugh very hard. We all need to commit ourselves to living in a community, a community that is intentionally intrusive, a Christ-centered, a grace-driven, redemptive community where we seek out others. Listen, where you and I seek out others and we invite people to interrupt our private conversation. I have tons of private conversations that need to be interrupted, that must be interrupted, that heaven is saying, interrupt it right now! And, And you're the one that needs to interrupt it for me. Because I'm just speaking crazy stuff to myself. And the sad thing is, when I think crazy stuff, you know what it leads to? Doing crazy stuff. We must say things to each other. For these wolves come to destroy and to kill the church of God. My friends, God calls us to care for one another by paying careful attention and being alert 24-7. May God's care for you in Christ motivate you to care for one another by paying careful attention to yourself so that you can then pay careful attention to others and by being on the alert for wolves who come to ravish and consume us. Oh, friends, I leave you with these words before we pray. Friends, be alert, pay careful attention, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Let's pray. Worship team, please come up. Lord God, I pray that this message would settle into this church like a beautiful glove crafted for a hand. I pray that this message would would fit this church like a well-tailored suit or a beautiful dress made just for that wedding day or that special day. Lord God, I pray that you would clothe us now with this burden of yours to care for one another by paying careful attention to our own lives, our own doctrine, our own practice, and then paying careful attention to one another. Lord, by being on the alert for wolves, wolves that come from without and wolves that come from within. Oh Lord, we confess together that today is the day that our lives would be lived for you and not ourselves. For you bought us with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. We are no longer our own, but we are yours. In Jesus' name, amen.